What in the world is happening with Barnes & Noble? Am I right? There is lots of drama going on with the bookseller right now. My name is Michael. You're listening to the Giddy Reader Radio Show. And today we're going to be looking at a number of new devices that have hit our review labs recently. Most notably, uh, this third generation Sony Digital Paper. This is the 10.3 edition of DPT-CP1. Uh, we have this uh, in our hands as well as the Onyx Boat Nook S, which is a 9.7 inch e-reader, which is different from their 10.3 Note that came out uh, late last year slash early this year in some markets. And we're going to look at some uh, stats regarding the audiobook and traditional print ebook industry. So. I hope you are going to get comfy because this is going to be a great show to listen to. I've been interested in smartwatches lately. It's um, something that I feel that I kind of want to get. Uh, so here's the deal. I, I traditionally wear analog watches, and I've had actually a few e-paper watches. Uh, the Fez Band 2 uh, by Sony and uh, the Seiko Spirit Watch. Um, both of those watches ended up like breaking over the years. Like I really liked the Seiko one because it was solar powered. So you didn't actually have to like swap out the batteries and things like that. I used it for that thing for like five years. It was like a thousand bucks, but it was awesome. You know, uh, just so innovative in terms of the design, super cool build quality. A lot of the other e-paper stuff are just like hella flimsy. Like the Fez watch, it's just like you're wearing a strip of e-paper, like on you and there there's a little bit of glass protecting like the other thing but there's really nothing protecting the band and stuff like that and i was just like man i'm gonna break this because i'm i'm a bit of a klutz so i tend to hit things and, and break things pretty easy uh seiko watch best watch i ever have i've had like a few uh other watches that i kind of regularly sport uh first gen pebble and um like a Nikon or Nyko or something like that. I don't know. It's it's it was a, like a six or seven hundred dollar watch, and I kind of really dug it. But I found that twice a year I've had to change the batteries on it because they just, you know, uh, traditional watches. I guess just like they need to swap the batteries. So I've been kind of like you know I like my first gen Pebble, but Pebble's like shutting off their servers and stuff soon as part of the Fitbit buyout. If you didn't hear about it, Fitbit bought Pebble. And uh, Pebble was just like having a hard time uh, getting people who already bought a Pebble to upgrade to the latest and greatest. It's sort of like smartphones and e-readers. Like if you have like a three or four year old Kindle, it's fine by today's standards. If you have a smartphone that's like a few generations behind the times, you'll really notice it. Um, but, you know, with smartwatches and stuff like that, you know, you could wait multiple years before you upgrade a different one. And that's what Pebble faced. So they had to get bought out. So uh, my Pebble will stop working soon. And so I'm kind of looking for a new watch. Uh, there's a few that are hitting the market soon. One is an upcoming Galaxy watch that's using... Uh, like Android Wear, which is, I guess, now called, like, Google Wear OS, uh, which is, I guess, like, their new name. Um, not much is really kind of known about it this at this point, but there was a picture that was just leaked, and it looks really good. Uh, in contrast to uh, a new Huawei watch that's coming out soon that I've been kind of taking a look at, um, it's like a Fitbit tracker, you know, Bluetooth, fitness tracker. It's a watch. It's sort of, like, higher-end Fitbit, and so there really isn't any, like, um, 
price or anything like this, but this is like the company is like, you know, they have various things. They have like the fifth gen talk band, which is out now. Uh, and this is the talk band B3 straight to B5. So it's like hard to keep track of all these like model numbers. So uh, search continues. I was thinking of an Apple iWatch because I have an iPhone. Um, I have an Apple TV and I have an iPad. Kind of makes sense to like get something like Apple. Then kind of all my apps will automatically be installed once I kind of, you know, get the watch. But I was looking like at the latest gen and it was like, man, can I rationalize spending seven or eight hundred dollars on like a watch that I don't know. I'm just kind of tapped out at the notion of having to spend that much like just like on an Apple watch when like Apple watches there's only been like really kind of a few generations uh, a lot of the bugs in the in just the industrial design and software and stuff haven't been totally ironed out yet might wait to see like what they announced like this year but I'm kind of looking for maybe a really cool looking traditional watch that's running like android wear os and something that's kind of like newer so it you know just the specs are like that good there's been android watches out way longer than like apple's been doing iWatches, so i'm kind of kind of on the fence about that i'm just you know literally i'm sick and tired of having to buy batteries for my traditional watch i'd much rather just plug it into the usb port and and have that go there has been a few new e-readers that have been out on the market for just like a few days. Uh, Sony Digital Paper DPT-CP1, 10.3 inch. It's running the same firmware as uh, the other Sony Digital Paper. So there's really no home screen. It's just like your documents are there. Uh, there's like no web browser. Uh, there's no like really Wi-Fi or anything like that. There's there's some basic security functions where you can set like passcodes and, and things like that but they're really kind of pushing you to use their app to send documents via the app to like another computer to a tablet to like a pc and stuff like that because uh, it does have bluetooth so it's meant to sort of do something like that but i was kind of wishing that sony would kind of like allow people to pre-install their own cloud server apps so say like um a company 500 people working for me i want to have everyone with digital papers and i want them to all talk to like the networks you know uh blackberry enterprise server and have like you know all the documents sent to sent to um a central server this way like if i have lawyers you know during a case everyone has the exact same things i note something like this the the person next to me gets the noted documents you know i wish sony would play nice with more sony digital papers uh either through near field communications bluetooth or just like on the same wi-fi network at least so uh, despite the fact sony has really good build quality software super polished uh they're the best in the business when it comes to digital note taking using their stylus stylus total ergonomic really cool design erasing stuff is like instant um editing pdf documents or just jotting down notes freehand via just a blank background or a line background or you know working with a split screen view with like a pdf on one side blank note on the other side or just like turning a single page pdf into a multiple page pdf in landscape mode um you know orientations are super quick um i sony's constantly impressed me with their just their note-taking functionality um 
compared to Remarkable and what Onyx is doing, even with our own Goody Reader, um, Sony's basically untouchable. Uh, it's not to say that the other brands uh, fall short by any means, uh, but they do make up for it in other ways. The Onyx Boat Nook, Nook Note S had to get that out there um 9.7 inch e-reader it doesn't have the long battery it has one gig less of ram it has half the internal storage and how and basically half the resolution is the 10.3 note and they do this in a 9.7 inch edition um, they pull it off because they're still using a gig of ram and a quad core processor so uh, performance is a bit snappy i find that their default note taking experience compared to the remarkable re reader and sony's e-reader it kind of falls off um, if you've ever had a remarkable the remarkable UI for taking notes is unparalleled. Um, so they kind of lead it in the respect of when you're freehand drawing, for example, you can actually set up different layers uh, in the drawing app. So you can actually uh, do some shading for like, say like a landscape, work on a, a second layer and like work on some trees, work on a third layer, work on some clouds. And then this way, if you're erasing something, you actually have to click on the layer of the something that you're erasing. So you won't inadvertently or start erasing everything just on that particular layer that you're working on. It's very Photoshop-esque and I'm a huge Photoshop fan and, you know, to be honest, uh, the UI for the uh, Remarkable in terms of uh, pinching and zooming and all like the, the the features for being able to draw shapes and like backgrounds, it's very Photoshop-esque, like sort of that inverted like, um, like toolbar. And I, that's what it really reminded me of when I first uh, reviewed it. Um, in terms of the Note S, I feel that it's cheap enough uh, to like purchase. It's you know, they used, they skimped out on a lot of like the higher cost things that they did in like the note and they brought it down to 389, whereas like the note, uh, 10.3 is 549. So it's like, uh, like a $200 difference. And so it, you are trading off. And I think that if you're looking for something that is multifunctional, in a respect that you could, it has an EPUB and, 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 you know, Mobi Reader, you can read comics on it. You can install Android apps, it's something that the Sony and the Remarkable can't. So it does have like that app store experience where you could download and install apps. Although Google Play didn't work for me when I um, did it, I heard that uh, a lot of Android e readers right now are struggling with Google Play. It's mainly due to new Google security policy. Uh, that they're enforcing, which is certified uh, by Android. And so a lot of the e-readers that were running uh, Android that weren't authorized copies, which was pretty well all of them, especially the ones that were using like Google Play Framework, Google Play uh, App Store. Uh, so Android devices on their own that don't have Google Play, no problem. Uh, Android e-readers that have Google Play, the only problem is is that you can't access Google Play anymore. And you can't uh, employ any existing hacks because uh, for the most part, they don't have the default Android UI. Like when you go to the settings menu on an Android phone or tablet, it looks totally different than an e-reader because the e-readers only have a few features like Wi-Fi, uh, wipe and restore the device, um, you know, version number, check for updates, turn on Bluetooth, turn on speakers, things like that. Whereas an Android phone, it'll have like, 
you know, apps, device policy, about, you know, and there's hacks that you can do to bypass the Google Play restrictions on a fully functional Android device that you can't do on an e-reader. So uh, a lot of these companies are saying, you know, it's something that we're kind of working on. Uh, some people have reported that they have got a Note or a Max 2 recently, and they have been able to connect up to Google Play. Uh, so it looks like it's just hit or miss with some uh, brands. Some devices are unable to connect. I know Onyx's new Note S, nobody can connect right now. And Onyx did uh, tell me personally that uh, this is a problem. They're looking to fix it. They might be looking at alternative app stores, in which case I said, hey, you know, we have an uh, uh, e-ink app store that we've preloaded on all of our e-readers. Icarus preloaded on their e-readers. Uh, a lot, number of Chinese companies have actually used it. Uh, some partners of Boyu for white label ones have used our Android app store. Uh, it's basically like a, just a stripped down version of our normal Android app store. Uh, if you're Okay, so if you're not aware of it, we have an app store apps out goodyreader.com you can download apps just from like the website but we also have fully functional android clients so apps that you can install on your phone tablet or e-reader so we have two different versions one's the fully functional android version carousels um curated app selection you know dynamic shading uh, animations and things like that it looks really awesome on a full color device that can handle it but with e-ink can't really handle all that. So we kind of stripped away all of like the superfluous animations, uh, the image carousels, and we just have apps. So uh, you click on apps, you click download, you don't even have to like register an account if you don't want to, which a lot of people in this day, day and age of privacy, uh, that's what they want. So, um, you know, with our app store, it's pretty seamless in terms of just like download and install. So, um, a lot of companies have been approaching us now, given this Google Play situation, and like, you know, we want to preload your app store. Uh, what are your terms? And we're like, there's no terms. It's all free, you know, just uh, install it in this way. Like, you know, we, we get some added exposure, generate some extra like revenue through like in-app purchases and, and that sort of thing. So um, kind of sucks for e-readers at large, but good for us. So I don't know how I kind of feel about that. Um, so yeah, two e-readers that we've looked at. Uh, I picked the Sony over the Onyx Book Note S uh, in terms of just the value that you're getting out of it. Barnes & Noble. Ugh, it seems as though whenever I write about Barnes & Noble, it's never great news. You know? It's never like... For the first time in, you know, six years, Barnes & Noble stopped losing money in a quarter and they generated $100 million. Or, um, you know, quarter by quarter, the Nook has been improving by double-digit percentages. You know, I wish I could write stories like that. I could, wish I could be like Barnes & Noble CEO speaks at Books, Book Expo America um, about the future of digital and how they're positioning their company to, you know, compete against Amazon and Kobo and, and Walmart and all these other retailers. Here's our vision. Here's our plan. Uh, they don't do any about that. Uh, Barnes & Noble's gone through four CEOs in five years. They sequestered themselves uh, in corporate headquarters in New York. Uh, they don't get out of the Barnes & Noble bubble. And why are all these CEOs? CEOs leaving. Well, the Barnes & Noble co-founder uh, or, you know, the founder of the company, um, 
he's been on the board of directors for a really long time. If you don't kind of agree with his vision and, you know, he's a 77 year old guy, he's pretty like into the old school. Um, if, if our visions don't align, here's your severance pay, you know, good luck to you. And if you look at like other bookstores all over the place, like, uh, James Daunt, for for example, I think he joined Waterstones in what, like 2011? It was a bookseller uh, that was like losing money for years and years and years, um, well before the Kindle came out. Uh, stores fragmented, uh, you know, uh, corporate, like the, you know, the people at the top of the food chains dictated what they can uh, stock in their front window, what you can have front facing on your shelves. Um, they really did a lot of stuff and it book sells decreased, decreased, decreased until the, the owner sold it to like a Russian billionaire, hired James Daunt from like Daunt Books. And he transformed the company in about two or three, maybe four years to it's just like generating profit, has no debt. It's doing tremendously well. And, you know, he's said he's given many interviews like he's a totally accessible CEO of a bookstore chain that is not afraid to talk about Amazon and and how they're going to, you know, counter the disruption. What's it look like in a post Amazon world? Um, he is like a quote machine and he travels everywhere. Just like he's in he's Waterstone's biggest fan. I don't think that Barnes and Noble, any of their CEOs have been their biggest fan. Uh, they're not evangel, you know, they're not evangelists of the bookstore chain. They're quiet as a mouse. You rarely even hear them speak publicly, unless it's on um, really modulated quarterly results of so four times a year when they do like their phone in uh, teleconference for posting their quarterly results. And the only people really talking to them are not media, not bloggers like myself. It's like big capital firms, people who have like, um, you know, two or 3% of, of share ownership of the company. And they talk about semantics that really kind of don't matter. Um, and I kind of feel that like Don, he's done amazing things like letting the bookstores have more control over like what they stock to cater to like local interests in your neighborhood. Uh, a bookstore in Mayfair is like different from like um, one in like say Oxford Circus. You know, you have different people, different, different atmosphere. Um, affluent neighborhood versus like non-affluent neighborhood what are those things that you stock what are the commonality things that is accessible to like everyone um and they hire people who are tremendously engaged with books uh barnes and noble on the other hand is what waterstones was before don got involved um all books are mandated. Publishers pay Barnes and Noble X number of million dollars a year to uh, only stock the books that they really want to uh, promote in their new and notable section. On you know when there's rows of bookshelves and there's certain books that face you, so you'll notice them first, especially the ones that aren't spine in. They're just like facing you. Publishers and everything are paying money for that. It's not like the bookstores are like, hey, we thought you might like this book. It's more like the publishers like hey buy this friggin book um so that's something a little a little interesting tidbit about how barnes and noble kind of handles all that but what i found is like 
um, this CEO was fired from Barnes and Noble uh, for violating company policies. They did not disclose exactly what policies were violated. Uh, his termination was not due to any disagreement in the direction of the company, financial reporting policies or practices, or any potential fraud. Uh, basically, it's likely probably due to sexual harassment. They wanted to keep it quiet. Um, that was like why they involved like a law firm to kind of find out how they can handle it. Uh, he did not get any severance. So basically, this is going to be a challenge for the next CEO uh, who takes over the company. And they're going to have a lot of craziness to deal with. Would I love to write an article about how Barnes & Noble's CEO comes from a book-selling background? Um, they hire someone as the CEO of, like, Thalia or um, of, you know, uh, a big bookstore like Shakespeare & Co. in New York. Um, they hire someone who loves books. And, and you know, current CEO, he came from Staples, uh, this Boyer before that came from Sears. I mean, they come from like very non, the farthest thing away from books. He went from like being a CEO of like Sears, you know, Boyer who got fired uh, from his job less than a year into it. Um, running, selling refrigerators and handling inventory to like running the largest book selling chain in the U.S. Uh, Demos, like he's from Staples. I mean, an office supply store to running the biggest book selling store. I mean, I could go on like how all the CEOs of Barnes and Noble have come from very non booky backgrounds and they expect to turn around um, an industry that's been like slit at the throat and it you know, by Amazon and, and e-commerce, like in general. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, they're the largest bookstore in America. Uh, Borders went bankrupt. It's not like Barnes & Noble is competing against anybody. They're competing against small mom-and-pop indie bookstores or staples of the market. You know, the, the seminal bookstores that have been around for like 50 to 100 years in like, you know, New York or San Francisco, uh, various other markets. You know, if you live in a city with them, you know the ones that I'm talking about. You know, the ones that spell like must and mildew but always have the greatest books at like awesome discounts and, you know, I used to always go to a used bookstore right across the street, uh, incidentally, from the flagship store of Vancouver, Chapters Indigo. So, um, you know, I would wait a lot of the times or know when he gets shipments because, like, the owner of the store would always, like, go and get, like, big boxes of books from, like, other stores. Or he would, he had his ear to the ground for, like, getting awesome books from, like, other companies. And I would know the days that he would get these books. So I would, like go through the boxes of books that he just brought in that weren't tagged yet, that weren't on the shelves. It was like getting first dibs. It's like um, when you're young and, and crazy and like shopping at like Salvation Army stores to like get something like a Halloween costume or something like that. Um, and a lot of those workers, their whole reason why they work there is because they get the first dibs on all the stuff that comes in. So someone th gives away an Armani suit that's too small for them anymore, but they would just want to donate it. It's a staff member that's getting that. It's not actually a lower income type person that's like getting it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Barnes & Noble is not competing with anyone. Uh, under like Deimos's watch, um, Stores sales were down four, five point four percent in the last year. Um, company lost one hundred twenty-five million dollars in the last year. Um, 
you know, he's he's didn't exactly churn around the company. Um, so, I mean, what could the next Barnes & Noble CEO do to improve the chances of them having any type of cohesive turnaround strategy to take it in a new direction? Um, you know, even if the company were to find a new CEO with the right plan to fix things, chances are he won't stick around long enough to see it through. Uh, the next leader of Barnes & Noble will need to have uh, a vast supply of job skills or at least not stay out of trouble. I think that the next Barnes & Noble leader should publicly disclose what they intend to do to turn things around. Uh, the bookseller's corporate values should not be their best kept secret and should basically assault everyone on a regular basis. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, just get out of the bubble. Talk to, talk to Daunt. Talk to other books, like big book selling chains. Talk, talk to like Heather, who runs, who's the CEO of Chapters Indigo in Canada for like the last like 20 years. You know, talk to these people that I've been around for a long time. And, you know, uh, Chapters Indigo, I touched on it a few times because the flagship store in Vancouver, I, I go to it a lot. I buy a lot of print books. I buy ebooks, but I buy more print than I do ebooks. And um, I mean, their stores are laid out beautifully. Uh, this company has had no debt in the last 10 years. Um, their stock, what, like double of what Barnes and Noble's at. Um, you know, they closed down stores, sure. And then, you know, if they close down a superstore, immediately they'll open up like a smaller store like a more boutique bookstore just because like obviously this this market has changed since the bookstore has been there um this big store the rent versus the revenue coming in is not making sense we'll close down that store and then a one block away we'll open up like a store that's like three quarters the size and we have like still awesome books and it's you know laid out really well um leadership at indigo has been like super strong uh every year it's like revenue increases 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 uh at some point like in the next 12 months they're gonna be opening up their first american store in new jersey they only plan to do one because they're kind of looking at it as like a learning experience book selling into uh totally different markets uh book selling in the u.s something that they don't have uh, any experience with dealing with like you know, dealing in Canada, and even though that you're dealing with publishers in Canada, it's like their official Canadian thing. So like uh, Penguin Random House Canada, uh, Hachette Canada. So if uh, any bookstore or anything like that is dealing with uh, books in Canada, they're not dealing with books sent to Canada from the States, although sometimes they are, but they're dealing primarily with their Canadian distributors Canadian management of, of these companies who are giving them books so it's going to be maybe a bit of a challenge dealing with that in the U.S. market but you know they're starting small they're starting with like a non-crazy bookstore they're not looking to compete against Amazon or Barnes and Noble or even like to a lesser degree books a million with their few locations uh, it'll be interesting and I'm kind of excited about it uh, speaking of uh, print Print sales increased by 2% in the first half of 2008. This is good news for bookstores basically everywhere in North America. Um, so one of the big driving factors has been all things Trump, uh, Michael Wolf's Fallen Fury, uh, James Comey's A Higher Loyalty. Uh, both of those books together sold like about 1.5 million copies. Like 
uh, Fight and Fury sold one point one million copies, like in the first half of 2018, and uh, Higher Loyalty sold 577,000 copies. That's a lot of copies, uh, and so uh, everything related to Trump is doing well. So up until April, every New York Times bestseller had related to the Trump presidency in some way. And it's not that he just serves as material as chief salesman. He moves unit or at least increases awareness of the book with his tweets. This week, though, just one third of the New York Times bestseller list of hardcover fiction had something to do with Trump related. So we're kind of getting a beach season, uh, fall season. This is like where like people start releasing the big breakout novels. Um, but continuing, um, you know, there is some books that kind of came a little bit out of nowhere uh, that are doing well. I mean, The President is Missing by Bill Clinton and James Patterson sold like 400,000 copies in the first six months of 2018. Uh, Stephen King's The Outsider, which a lot of people are reading right now, uh, was the second most popular new adult fiction title in uh, the last six months. Sold um, about a quarter of a million copies. And, um, you know, the... Handmaiden's Tale sold 325,000 copies. I mean, that book is like old and still selling like hotcakes, primarily due to the television show. Um, so, I mean, uh, there are some other trends in book selling that I'll get into just quickly. Um, paperback sales basically flat. Uh, mass market paperback sales uh, bottoming out. It's like just a decrease like 3%. Um, but what's interesting is how digital audiobooks has been disrupting physical audiobooks. Um, physical audiobook sales, uh, they fell like 9%, not, okay, so they, they lump it into CDs, so basically digital audiobooks and CDs fell 28%. So these are bookstores that sell these. And, uh, yeah, uh, not too good in terms of, you know, legacy media. But then again, who's buying CDs anymore when everything is digital? It's, you know, it, it comes back to Barnes & Noble again where it's like they sell Maroon 5 records at their, at, at their bookstores. They sell um, Funko, like, dolls or whatever. Uh, they sell toys. They sell stationaries. They say, sell pens. Ha like, less than half the store is actually devoted to selling books it's like all this shit that's like you know are they selling vhs tapes they're not that out of touch but they are selling like cds cassettes records and all this stuff that's like it's just it blows my mind how to like out of touch with the modern world they actually are and it's like are they looking at other bookstore chains to see like what they're getting right that they're doing wrong it's probably not it's like we're Barnes & Noble. We're the biggest bookstore in the U.S. We'll run our business as we see fit. It's just like everyone's everyone's abandoning ship. All the stock people who own big shares of the company, they're all abandoning ship. It's like it's so, it's so funny. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been ranting and raving about Barnes & Noble, and it's just like I wish I could write great stuff about them. I do. It's just like – Everything that comes out of them through official PR channels and 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 financial results and and what other you know how they're doing versus the competition it's like it's always bad man it's just it's bad. Um, Prime Day is coming up soon, uh, July sixteenth. So um, 
<laughs> you know, I hope uh, when you open up your wallet, moths aren't flying out because, like, it's been so long that you've actually put money in there. Like, dust flies out and stuff like that. So uh, it starts to, like save your moolah because they're gonna have like tons of sales uh this year uh whole foods sales are gonna be available in the u.s there's gonna be a lot of different alexa deals they kind of toyed with this last year but it's gonna be more they're gonna be more ingrained this year where there's certain deals and certain products that'll only be available through like your voice assistant your voice assistant will like tell you everything about it once prime day starts um what am i gonna get for prime day oh I don't know. I'm not going to buy any Amazon branded stuff. I mean, I have everything that they just send me that, you know, I have like, I think like one of our people looked at a review video. It's like, man, you've had like 32 different Kindles. It's like, yeah, man, we've reviewed every single Kindle model that's ever come out. Um, and we have half of them just sitting at our review labs. One of these days we'll do a video about like all the different generations of the Kindle and like talk to you about what we said at the time versus like how they perform now. I think that that would be kind of cool. Um, I don't know. I'm have everything I kind of need. I don't really need anything. But when has really needing anything stopped you from actually buying something? I don't know. I'm kind of addicted to shopping sometimes. Uh, retail therapy and all that jazz. Um, so this has been the Goody Reader Radio Show. We've talked to you a lot about a lot of different things. So hopefully you've enjoyed this edition. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, uh, this web, uh, this audio production is available on our website uh, on the front page. In the next week or two, it'll be available through our navigation bar. If you just click media and then radio show, you'll get this. Uh, we're available also on uh, Google Play uh, audiobooks. We're on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts. Uh, Goody Reader Radio Show is everywhere. So hopefully you've enjoyed. My name is Michael, and everybody take care.